personality creates your personal reality. Authentic power is when your personality comes to serve the energy of your soul. The truth is the body is one ecosystem. You can get to the root cause and everything goes away. Thank you for tuning in to the Recondition podcast. I'm Lauren Vaknin. I'm a health writer and holistic wellness coach. And my own journey from disability to remission taught me that wellness through a mind-body approach can take time when we don't know where to begin. And that's why I created this podcast, to bring you the answers to all your well-being questions in the most accessible way possible. Whether you're suffering from chronic illness, raising children in a world of conflicting information, or you simply want to feel empowered and motivated to become the best version of yourself, join me along with expert guests as we uncover the most actionable ways to recondition ourselves back to wellness. episode of Reconditioned is sponsored by Urban Veda, one of the only skincare brands I've personally found that is genuinely natural and cruelty free, yet still smells and feels as luxurious as conventional brands, which is something I always found hard to find. Formulated with Ayurvedic principles, there is something for every skin type. Head to urbanveda.com and enter the code LAUREN15 at checkout for a 15% discount across the range. This episode of Reconditioned is sponsored by Mega Home Water Distillers, the most reliable and efficient home drinking water distiller. Mega Home are kindly offering listeners of the Reconditioned podcast a 5% discount. Just use the code CONDITION5 at checkout. That's C-O-N-D-I-T-I-O-N-5. Thank you to Mega Home. Hello lovely listeners, welcome back to Reconditioned uh, and to the season finale. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for listening. For those of you who've been listening for a while, thank you for supporting this season and for downloading and and listening and sending messages. I've loved every second of recording this season because it's really been me in alignment, in my purpose, and it's been truly amazing. So thank you for your support. And um, that segues very nicely into this season finale episode with Jay Shetty, who is all about purpose. Um, It was the most amazing episode. I, I was watching the video, the Zoom video back, and I was just smiling the whole way through because we just had so much fun with it. I had so many notes and I knew we wouldn't get through them all um, because it would just take too long. But, you know, as Jay does have, he has this amazing way of kind of taking you on a journey through his answers. And so we kind of really got all of his wisdom and all of the things we love him for so much. But what we also got, which was my intention with this episode, because Jay's everywhere, you know, we hear him on his own podcast and on videos and he's done so many other interviews. So I wanted to get to really kind of delve beneath the surface and ask Jay the questions that no one knows. And um, so we really got to know who is Jay Shetty. So I think you're really gonna enjoy it because it's something a bit different. Um, So the background here is that Jay and I met around seven, eight years ago. I was recently in remission when I met him. I'd not long been in remission and not long been married actually. 
And I was doing some studying at the Hare Krishna temple in Watford, um, where he had um, started his monk journey. And so we met through friends there and we became friends and he became a mentor of sorts and we would meet up and he would generously offer me his time and we'd sit there together just talking about all sorts of you know wisdom from the Bhagavad Gita and he would explain kind of how that was relevant to me and my life now and then we would we kind of created this little community this little group of us and we would meet up about once a month either at this vegan restaurant locally or at, we would do these group kirtan sessions there was this one girl she kindly offered us um, she hosted in her home and made amazing vegan food and Jay would do a motivational speech for us all to get us motivated and g'd up and Janavi would lead the kirtan and we would just sit in this like dimly lit incensed room in this uh, with this amazing group of people around us with this incredible person giving us this motivational talk and then all kind of singing and chanting and playing instruments and then eat some amazing plant-based food and they're really some of the best memories that I've got for the last decade. Um, because of being part of that community and kind of being initiated into that, if you like, and meeting some of the incredible um, mentors and spiritual teachers that Jay often talks about and the things I learned during that time. And it was a turning point in my own growth, but we also just had so much fun. And so in respect to what we're doing now with this podcast, we talk about it in the episode because they say it takes 10 years to make an over to become an overnight success and knowing Jay from back then and seeing how hard he worked to to bring this wisdom to make it accessible and he was doing that then and you know we were like a group of 15 of us just in a house in North London and he would give the same passion the same enthusiasm as he does now when he's talking at I don't know Google or Harvard or wherever he speaks at the Red Table Talk with Will and Jada you know or on the Ellen show and I wanted to preface that because everything that's happened with Jay has happened because of hard work and because of him being in his purpose and setting that intention. So I want to thank him. I want to thank Jay and offer gratitude um, for everything he's done for me and obviously for coming on this podcast. So leading on from that, very exciting news my end. Uh, for those of you who've been following a, a while or listening, uh, you'll know that, that I've been health coaching for a while, which was something that happened very organically. It, it, I never set out to do that. Um, following my own journey and kind of being uh, my remission coming from from putting myself into intensive self-study for a decade um, by, you know, immersing myself in all aspects of the self to gain this kind of true long-lasting healing. When I began writing about natural health and natural parenting and speaking about it, afterwards people would see my articles and my talks and ask if I would coach them. And I always said yes, because although I'd never set out to coach, my intention, my purpose was always to help people find the tools to live the healthiest and happiest lives and and understand that we have everything within our power to have that. Um, it's already within us. We just need to be given the tools to do that. So I did that, but I kind of never um, structured it or created a business out of it. I would never market it. It was just something that I would do if people approached me because I was busy focusing on the writing and the other stuff. Um, but in a light bulb moment, kind of over the last year, I've been very much stepping into my purpose and figuring out where I'm taking what I've been doing. And after getting some incredible feedback from previous clients and friends um, who have worked with me 
um, or have been coached by me telling me how I'd impacted either their health or their life or both from being able to either go into remission or really step into their own purpose and find their passion. Um, I was like, what am I doing? I'm missing a trick here. Like, this is my purpose. So it was just like a light bulb moment to think, okay, I need to make this a part of my current business and, and this needs to be set up as a program. And so the amazing thing is that every I've created this unique coaching plan now. And um, I'm also officially now a life coach and NLP and master NLP practitioner, that's neuro-linguistic programming. Um, and I've created this program based on really integrating all aspects of self. So physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. For those of you that listen to the show will know that that is what I'm always about. And all these ideas and everything came to me through meditation. I think because I was very much so excited about this, knowing I was so in my purpose that it just came to me every aspect of it. So I've now created a very unique coaching service that integrates all these aspects. So whatever it is you're struggling with in life, integrating all the aspects of self will help you reach your goals. Um, So I've created that with a one-to-one, so obviously I'll be offering one-to-one sessions, but the thing I'm really excited about is the group program, the group program that I'll be launching soon, um, which will kind of enable you to be part of a community of like-minded people and support each other in between sessions. Um, and yeah, it's very much a part based on everything I've learned over the years. And, you know, obviously I am a qualified nutritionist, but nutrition was such a small part of what I did because, you know, just to kind of explain what I mean by integrating everything. So I would never take on a nutrition client with the sole purpose of giving them a nutrition plan or telling them how many calories to eat because that never resonated with me. For me, it was always very much about understanding that there are mindset blocks there, that if you're someone that's been yo-yo dieting your whole life or you don't have a good relationship with your body, that's come from conditioning. And that's something we need to break down because we can, I can give you all the nutrition plans in the world, but if those conditionings and that mindset, they're preventing you from following that, you can be given all the, the nutrition plans in the world, but you won't keep to them. Whereas this way, we're going back and we're breaking those ingrained blocks. We are identifying those limiting beliefs. What are those limiting beliefs? Where did they come from? Breaking them down. So we go through the physical, which is all kind of the physical fundamentals of lifestyle and nutrition and supplements and everything you need to know in regards to what we need, you know, epigenetics, et cetera, et cetera. Then we go deep into mindset, brain training, reprogramming, rewiring those neural pathways to help us reprogram those beliefs. And then the emotional side of things, inner child work, ancestral healing, journaling, going deep and and kind of really healing anything that needs to be healed in order to move forward. But then the icing on the cake really is the spiritual side of it because it's such a huge part of what I do. And I truly believe that in order to to genuinely be happy and fulfilled, we have to connect to something deeper than ourselves. So for this kind of to all fit into place, and it's the, it's the last kind of piece to the puzzle, if you like, because true fulfillment comes from that place. So I've now set it up as an official business. It will launch in the new year. Um, there is a waiting list already, but if you want to be on the waiting list, please go to laurenvacneencoaching.com. The website isn't live, but there is a waiting list that you can access there. You can also do that through laurenvacneen.co.uk. 
um, and get on the waiting list for both the uh, one-to-ones or the group sessions. And Or you can contact me on Instagram at Lauren Vacneen and I will be very happy to get back to you there. So I'm super excited about it and I hope that you will join me on this incredible journey. But for the meantime, I know you're here to listen to Jay Shetty, so let's get on with the show. So without further ado, here is Jay Shetty on the Reconditioned Podcast. Jay Shetty needs little introduction, but if by some miracle you are yet to hear of him, he is the author of the number one New York Times bestselling book, Think Like a Monk. For years now, Jay has been on a mission to share the timeless wisdom of the world in an accessible, relevant and practical way. He has created over 400 viral videos and hosts the number one health and wellness podcast in the world, On Purpose. Today, Jay Shetty is considered one of the most powerful people in the world with a vast social media reach amassing 38.5 million followers and 8 billion views for his Making Wisdom Go Viral videos. In 2017, Forbes magazine named him as one of the world's 30 most influential people under 30 and he has won both the Streamy and Shorty Awards for Best Health and Wellness Creator of the Year 2018. All of that, and yet he's still humble enough to be sitting here recording this with me. So thank you. Lauren, thank you so much. You missed you missed the most important part. We've been friends for a long time. So that's that's the I best know. that's the best part <laughs> of the uh the bio. But we've known each other from it's been it's been so many years now. I'm trying to think. Maybe it's been about like maybe 10 years, maybe, maybe a little it's less. It's been about, about seven years. Yeah, seven, maybe a little years, less. Like yeah. yeah, maybe a little yeah. less. But thank you so much for having me. And I'm really glad we're doing this together. And yeah, thank you. Me too. Thank you so much. I genuinely, I'm just, I feel very honored and humbled to have you here. Um, you did mention, obviously, we are friends. But more than that, you've actually been somewhat a mentor to me over the years. And I've got amazing memories of sitting at the Hare Krishna temple in Watford with you, with you teaching me and offering me all your wisdom, um, or during group kirtans where you would offer motivational talks and Janavi would lead the kirtan. And honestly, they're not just some of my most favorite memories, but a lot of what I learned during that time was very much a turning point for me and my growth. And like watching you in those days, I think most of us could see the trajectory your life would take, but I wonder if you could see it and um, um, what your expectations were back then. Yeah, definitely. It's it's so interesting looking back to around seven years ago when I left the monastery and left the ashram and started to figure out what it is that I was going to do. And I remember having some really formative conversations. And I remember from the moment I left, I always wanted to share what I'd learned in a innovative way, entertaining way, and with the hope that it would reach the world, I don't think I ever quite imagined it was truly possible or that Mm -hmm. what has happened today was ever in my life plan. But I know that the desire was there, but I remember having some really interesting conversations with people in my life. One was uh, my best man at my wedding, uh, Chirag, who I believe you know too a little bit, or at least you've crossed paths. And, and we were talking, I remember we used to go on these walks in between our lunches at work in the city. And, and I'd always say to him, yeah, I want to share wisdom and share these ideas and insights. But whenever I'd speak to them and they'd say, well, you know, does it have to be in a big way or would you do it even if there were a few people? And 
And I was like, no, I would do it even if there were a few people. Like it was, it was always, I was always happy whether there were five or 10 people in the audience. And I think you were in some of those sessions we used to do back in London Absolutely. too. Where, I mean, we used to do them in people's houses and it was just you talking to a few people and your passion was the same every time. So I definitely vouch for that. Yeah. So I just, I've, I think I've always wanted to do this. I have always done it. And it's wonderful today that there's millions of people that I've connected with. I'm so grateful for it. But I know that when I started out, I had no idea that this was ever possible. And I think that's why I live with so much gratitude every day. I feel so humbled every day because you almost feel really blessed and and just just completely honored to be even able to serve this community that I have today. So yeah, I'm glad that I'm getting to speak to someone who's who's seen it back then, because I think often mm. today, a lot of people feel like, oh, you've always had, you know, th like your life's always looked this way and it hasn't. And so, right. yeah, I, I feel very grateful. Yeah. And one thing with that is, is that, you know, they say it takes 10 years to be an overnight success, right? So you're saying, because I saw you back then. And one thing I always kind of vouch for and say about you is that you worked so hard, you know, this didn't just kind of like, this stuff didn't just happen and you were so intent on your purpose and you always knew your purpose. And, you know, even at the point where you were in New York and things weren't looking great and you didn't know if you were gonna be able to afford to stay there, like you were just so intent on sharing this wisdom. And so, yeah, it is really nice kind of to see how that has played out and um, and how kind of humble you've stayed with it. So, no, yeah. I, I remember we had our dinner in New York when you came out too. I remember we, we got yeah. to sneak away to that restaurant. Uh, but yeah, it's, I think it's just you, you know, anyone who's sharing, it's, it's so clear that what we're sharing is what our teachers have given us, what our mentors have given us, what our coaches and guides and have given us. And so for me, it's like, I feel so overwhelmed with gratitude and love for the people that train me and people always say wow you came to all of this so early and, and I always say yeah I was lucky because when I was 18 I met all the right people it wasn't because I was born this way or that I came into the world with this special purpose it was because I was exposed to the right people at such a formative age in my life at such a pivotal stage in my life and I think that's what mm -hmm. I'm trying to do today whether it's with my podcast whether it's with my book the, the question I'm asking people to ask themselves is who's the monk in your life and what I mean by that is you don't have to meet a monk but who is that person that you've not met yet that is going to change your life and where are you going to meet them and find them now when I was growing up and when you were growing up we didn't have podcasts to listen to and we didn't have social media. I, I don't remember it being this strong as it is now. And so we went to real events and we heard real people speak. And what that allowed was you to feel someone's energy, what it allowed was you to speak to them afterwards. And that obviously still exists. But today we have this incredible gift of being able to learn from people all over the world at the touch of a button. And I think we have to make the most of that because that's what it is for me. If I didn't meet the monks at 18 years old, I wouldn't have had this opportunity to live the life I have. And, and that's what I'm always asking everyone. Who have you not met yet? Who are you not exposed to? What, what background or culture is going to infuse your life with a newfound meaning and purpose? Yeah. And I guess the great thing about social media, because like you, you often say, you can use it to your benefit or you can use it to your detriment. The great thing is you can seek out those people, those expanders and those people who are going to help you grow as opposed to following people who don't serve you in any way. So if you like, all your monks are there on social media, you just have to be following the right ones. 
Yeah, exactly. Everyone you are looking for is already accessible in some way. And it may be documentaries, it may be podcasts like this one. And I think we have to start seeking out those people early on in our lives. Because as we get older, we get more stuck in our ways. It's harder to listen to people. It's harder, you know, you think you have it all figured out. And I think the earlier we can find those role models and earlier we can find those, as, as I believe Tupac Shakur used to say, real models. Uh, you know, yeah. that's what we're, what we're looking for is who are those people that we, I, I shared something the other day and it's from my book. It's like, I wanted to be around people who had the values I wanted, not the things I wanted. And I think when we're yeah. young, we focus on being around people who have the things we want, not the values we want. And I got really, really exposed to that at an early stage where the monks had the values I wanted uh, and they didn't have anything <laughs> physical or material yeah. that I wanted. I guess that's a really great lesson for any parents listening about kind of what you expose your children to or, you know, parents of teenagers, if they're guiding their teenagers at the moment, if you're lucky enough to have teenagers that might listen to you, guide them in that direction, you know, kind of pay attention to what they're listening to and who they're listening to and who they're following. Because, you know, as you say, you were so lucky at 18. I mean, at 18, I was on a very different tra trajectory to yours, you know, so, and I wish I could have changed that earlier on. But, you know, as they say, everything happens for a reason. But let's start with the book, because you've just mentioned the book. And so think like a monk. What a gift to the world. Thank you so much. I have enjoyed every single page. I've literally dog-eared. I mean, I'd say pretty much every other page. So I'm giving it to my mother-in-law now and it's like double the size. <laughs> oh, you're the sweetest. Thank you for taking the time to read it. I really appreciate that. Thank you for taking the time to write it. What I love about it is that it makes thinking like a monk so accessible. Um, and for anyone, you know, they don't have to be deep in the world of meditation or anything like that. And just kind of gives us everyday tools to help us live more fulfilled lives. So was that the intention with the book? Yeah, I think my intention's always been to make things really accessible, really simple, and really practical where people can actually do something with it. I think for me, when I look at my passion and my purpose, it really is synthesizing, finding the essence, and trying to make really complicated, difficult concepts really easy to grasp, because I feel that's such a, first of all, it's a really fun, fulfilling process for me because it means I really have to grapple with the subject. And there's a beautiful statement by Albert Einstein, which I quote in the book, where he says mm. that if you can't explain something simply, you don't understand mm. it well enough. So for me, yes. for the longest time, my obsession has been, how do I understand this so well that I can genuinely explain it? And if I can't explain it, then I don't really understand it. And so it's almost like a personal test for me, which is great yeah. because it allows me to deepen my practice. But at the same time, I really believe that we don't want to alienate anyone from wisdom. Wisdom is the property of everyone on the planet. You don't have to be part of an elite group. You don't have to be part of this esteemed community or have a certain bank balance or have a certain way of living. And, and I think that's what I wanted to show in this book that the only entry price is, of course, the cost of the book. But, you know, for, for like whatever it is, like, I don't know how much it is in the UK, but, but for that amount, you have access to every tool you need to yeah. start living that way. And I think even what you were just saying earlier about kids, I think it's so important that children are exposed to simple ideas as well. And I'll give you an example. Like when I grew up, 
I remember when my dad would read the newspaper, my father's very into spirituality and would be very much focused on reading spiritual books, but he also read the news. And I remember every year, the Times in the UK would publish a rich list. And I've always thought about that since that day. And I thought, wow, like there's a rich list, which means every person who sees that thinks they have to become rich because that's what's mm. being rewarded. But what if there was a happiness list or a joy list or a service list or a yeah. charitable list? And, and that's where you start. And I'm not saying any of those things should exist. We should measure happiness in that way. But what I'm saying is that if you don't see that, you never think that that's what you should be looking for. And so you chase right. what you see. And, and for me also with children, I think one of the other things is introducing children to people other than yourself that have the right guidance. The greatest gift my father ever gave me was books written by other people. And he never gave me his, you know, I, I think if he tried, well, actually I take that back. He tried to give me his advice and it didn't work. But, <laughs> but when he gave me the books by other people and about other people's lives, those were the ones that had the biggest impact on me. And I think parents sometimes try and be the role model or try and be the advisor of their child. And let's face it, no one thinks their parents are cool. My kids, when I have kids, will not think I'm cool. Uh, it's just the way life is set up. And so the best thing you can do as a parent is introduce them to other people who connect with them. And that's what Think Like a Monk was. It was, how can I not introduce you to my teachings? How can I introduce you to the science, to the monks of old, to ancient teachers? How can I introduce the audience to incredible minds through my book that then they can connect with. Mm. Yeah, it's beautiful. And and my one of my favorite things that you did with the book was kind of go back in each section to when you were a monk and kind of you speak in the present tense. And, and I love that because it kind of really takes us back there. And yeah, I, I, I want everyone listening to, to read that. And I don't want to go too much into now the what you did as a monk, well, it's so interesting, but I really want to delve here. And there's so much, obviously you talk about it a lot in your podcast and they can read about it in the book. I really want to make the most of our time with all this wisdom you're offering. So another quote that I hear you say a lot, and uh, actually it was in the book, was the quote by Charles Horton Cooley. Yes. Um, tell me that quote, because I love how you explain it. Yeah, it's, it's my favorite piece of wisdom, this quote I'm about to share. And by the way, I really appreciate, Lauren, what you're doing here. Like, it's good not to focus on the book and things I say and trying to go into different areas. So I love that. Uh, but the the quote was written, I believe, in like 1890 or somewhere like that, I believe. And he said that the challenge today is, I'm not what I think I am. I'm not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. And I always say this, let that blow your mind for a moment because it, it is- It does, it's it like you is, need a second, give me yeah, a second. <laughs> yeah, take a second, press pause and I'll explain what it means. What it means is that we live in a perception of a perception of ourselves. So if I think, Lauren thinks I'm smart, then I allow myself to feel smart. But if I think Lauren thinks I'm weak or unintelligent, then I feel unintelligent. And so we're allowing ourselves to feel how we think someone thinks of us. Now that is really confusing because you haven't, first of all, you have no idea what anyone thinks. Mm -hmm. And second of all, you have definitely have no idea what someone thinks of you back fully. And so when you live your life in that way, you start creating a masked life, a character life, a role life. And I give the example of method acting as an analogy for this 
where if you look at method actors, whether it's Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, who played in the Gangs of New York, or if you look at Heath Ledger, of, of course, who unfortunately passed away uh, after playing the role of uh, the Joker in Batman. And if you analyze method actors, they get so ingrained in trying to become this role that they actually lose their identity. And mm -hmm. I think so many of us, we try to become the perfect person for our parents. We try and become the perfect person for our partners. We try and become the perfect person in our professions. And all of that aim at being the perfect person for someone else or something else disconnects us from ourselves. And so that's what that quote means. And that to me is the root of thinking like a monk. Think like a monk is the rebellion towards that thinking. Because by the way, when you become a monk, you literally have to stop caring what everyone thinks because your parents don't think it's a good idea. Your family won't think it's a good idea. Your friends don't think it's a good idea. No one thinks it's a good idea. And so thinking like a monk is a rebellion against society in the deepest way. And because it's literally saying materialism does not work. And, and therefore that quote was the perfect place to start the book because it, it symbolizes the whole, the whole thesis of everything I share. Yeah, I just love it. And also just because perceptions are just that, right? Like once you actually grasp that the way you're thinking about something, someone else is looking at the same thing and thinking about it in a totally, like it just blows your mind. It does. Perceptions are just perceptions. Literally. And, and you can't live your life on perceptions. And that's why a lot of us live our life on perceptions and assumptions of what we think people think. And that's so much is lost in that, like clarity, communication, all of that ability to be like, let me understand why you think that. I'll give a really, really interesting example is like, for example, even taking the book, two people could buy Think Like a Monk for two different reasons. Mm -hmm. And you could assume that they both need the same thing in their life and they both have the same challenges. But the truth is you could, and that includes everything in life. Two people could, could support something mm -hmm. for two totally different reasons. Two people could believe something, have a faith in something for two totally different reasons. One you agree with and one you disagree with and same with you. And so we have to be open to not let someone's external choice be, the, be our perception of their internal choice, right? Mm -hmm. we can't, you can't judge someone's uh, intentions based on some of their external choices. They actually could be very disconnected. Let's talk about judgment a minute because I remember the first day I met Radhi at one of the Kirtan events we used to do and I was speaking to her afterwards and about you and one of the things she said that really stuck out was how you were the most non-judgmental person she'd ever known and what that had taught her. And oh, wow. So I after that, I yeah. That. I didn't know that after go and give Radhi a big <laughs> hug after. <laughs> yeah, and it, it really stuck out how she said it because uh, I think it was a sign for me because that same week I'd seen that that Mother Teresa quote of if you judge someone you cannot love them, um, and so then every time afterwards that I wanted to judge someone I thought to myself how would Jay manage this? And st I promise you to this day, if I want to judge someone, I think, what would Jay do here? Uh, no, it's, you know, you have to realize, and, and that Mother Teresa quote, by the way, thank you for sharing, it's so beautiful. That's the heart of it, that when we judge someone, we forget they're in pain. Mm -hmm. And anyone who's saying anything, and, and it's really hard to live this way, but if you try it, it makes a lot of sense that, when you see someone acting in a way that you don't agree with, when you see someone responding or reacting in a way or, or just being, uh, what would be the right word, being uh, 
un unexpected of what you would think would be the right way to do something, you have to realize that all of that comes from some pain in their life. And same with you, when you act, when you, I mean, how many, okay, let's just be really honest with ourselves. How many of us have said things that we don't believe are completely true? Me, right? How many yeah. times, yeah. How many times have you said something, everyone who's listening right now, how many times have you ever said something you don't mean? How many times have you said something that you don't fully believe? How many times have you acted in a way that you are not proud of? I say yes to all of that for me. And, and the interesting thing with all of that is you did it because you were in pain. It's always when you're in pain that you act in a way that you're not proud of. You never act in a way you're not proud of when you're happy. When you're happy or joyful, you act in a way that you're proud of. When you're in pain, you never do. And so we have to realize that everyone who's acting in a way that doesn't make them proud is because they're in some sort of pain. And that's why when you judge them, you actually stop your ability to understand and access compassion. And when you do that, you now start creating a barrier between you and everyone. And now you're, they're wrong and you're right or in the future, you're wrong and they're right, as opposed to this collective understanding. It's it's harder to live that way, but it's very much needed, especially now. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Judgment's been a, a big lesson of mine. I think a lot of it comes down to conditioning and kind of the things we see growing up, but that's been a big lesson for me of how to not judge people. And that's something you've helped me on um, a lot. So thank you. Um, but something else you touch on the, in, in the book um, that I love is positivity and complaining. And I'd like us to go there a little bit because I'll be honest, I'm that annoying person who just needs everyone to know how I feel all the time, <laughs> which I know doesn't serve me in any way. But, you know, I always just feel like I need everyone to know how I feel. So how, how can we find that balance of expressing ourselves without it being complaining and still keep a positive attitude? Yeah, that's such a great question and really well, well phrased. The, f the first thing I do is whenever you're about to speak, or share anything, it's really important to ask yourself, like, what's my intention behind this? Like, what's the reason I'm sharing it? And half the time when you ask that question, you won't even have anything left to say because you won't have a good reason. So sometimes I'll be in a group circle and I'll want to say something and I'll ask myself, why do I want to say this? And I realize, oh, it's just my ego or it's mm -hmm. actually just my uh, jealousy or it's just my, you know, it's, it's one of those lower emotions. And as soon as I hear that, I'm like, well, why do I want to share anything with jealousy? Like, why would I want to share anything with ego? And so that's the first question is asking yourself, like, what's my intention behind sharing this? And I believe it was Socrates who had the three gates of like, is it true? Is it kind? And is it necessary? So that's what mm. Socrates would do. He would always ask people to reflect, like, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? The Bhagavad Gita, which is the book that I've studied the most, it says you have the four austerities of speech. Is it true? Is it beneficial to all? Does it not agitate the minds of others? And is it aligned with your teachers and teachings? So the first three are really interesting. Is what you're saying true? That's the first check. And a lot of the times we don't know if what we're saying is true. Like for example, when you say, oh, you know, I can't believe she looked at me like that at that party and then she did this to me and none of it may be true. It's again, a perception. And so to be able to start a conversation and say, you know, I have this perception. It phrases it completely differently versus, you know, she's really rude or really mm. mean. All of a sudden, not only is the person reacting differently, you are, when you say, you know, I'd love to explore something with you. I have this perception of this person and I don't know if it's true or not. 
but I want to think it through with you. It's a completely different tone when you're perceiving someone versus when you're literally almost prosecuting someone. And you're, you know, you're literally saying like they're judging them for who they are. And so that's one thing of, is it true? The second is, is it beneficial to all? So when you're sharing something, actually if you're sharing it, but it's gonna affect a few people negatively, and it's gonna affect a few people positively, then you wanna be careful and share that in the right circles, in the right groups. And the third one is, uh, in the Gita, it says, is it, does it agitate anyone's mind? So this doesn't mean you can't say things that are difficult. It's about saying it in such a way that doesn't agitate someone. That doesn't mean you have to be politically correct. It doesn't mean you're trying to be overly nice or falsely compassionate. What you're doing is you're actually trying to test yourself to speak to people's hearts. And I think that this check today has gone from society where it's all about becoming unapologetic about how you communicate. But the problem with that is that we are again going from one extreme to the other. So one extreme was like, we've all been pressurized to never never talk our mind, right? All told mm. to stay in line, you're never allowed to share how you feel. The other extreme is share everything you want, whenever you want, however you want, and no one cares. And that doesn't work either. It just creates more conflict behind the scenes. And so actually priming yourself to communicate in a way that you really believe will try to resonate. And by the way, people will still not resonate and that's fine because you've tried your best. You, you've mm. tried your best to really understand your idea. And, and that's the difference between when children are learning math at school, you wouldn't want a PhD teacher to come and teach them PhD mathematics. They just need to understand two plus two is four. And so sometimes we come at it from such a deep high level that, that we actually confuse people rather than connect with them. So. Yeah, that's, that's, been, that's been a bit about complaining, like what you were just saying. And by the way, I like complaining too. Who doesn't? Uh, you know, we're all guilty of it. But we have to realize that our complaint will have no purpose or impact if it's not shared in this mindful way. And I really believe that people can become more mindful in their complaining if they're also more aware of the truth, more aware of how they really feel, uh, and more better able to diagnose what they're really struggling with. Yeah. So I, after reading the complaining bit in your book, I sat down with Daniel and I said, right, why do I, always, because it's like, even if I've got a splinter, oh, I had a splinter today. It really hurt. You know, it's like, I need everyone to know how I'm feeling physically and emotionally all the time. And I said, right, why do I need everyone to know if I had a headache or if I, you know, things weren't perfect. And we really diagnosed it. We did like, we went back and kind of figured out that it was, you know, I grew up with an illness and everyone wanted to know how I felt all the time. So I got so used to telling everyone all the time. So now it's like, my day isn't complete if Daniel doesn't know every tiny detail that happened. And it's just not necessary. It's not serving me. Yeah, and that and that's, so, I'm so glad you did that, by the way. Like that's exact, I love that. I love hearing that. And everyone who's listening, please do that with this book and every book you ever read or any podcast you listen to, it's so beautiful to really sit down and unpack something. And by the way, I'm so glad that what you just shared now, because the reason you do it is not wrong. Like the reason you, you share your whole life is not wrong. There's nothing negative about that. And it's so beautiful to realize, oh yeah, I grew up with something where I had to keep people informed and I had to be really aware and it's beautiful when you discover that and then you don't judge yourself. You're like, oh, I get it now. Mm -hmm. But now I also realize that I don't need to do it anymore. Yeah, and I think that's, mindful. Yeah, that's the beauty of it in, in getting to the root. And that's 
such a key part of all of this that most of us that complain are not actually complaining about that thing. We're complaining about some deep rooted issue we have, you know, because that's what it is. And, and that's the challenge that when we keep trying to solve our everyday Monday complaint, our Tuesday complaint, our Saturday complaint, we're not, we're not actually removing our decade long challenge or complaint that we have. And so it's so important to do that. So thank you for doing that. I love hearing that. And I'm glad you and Daniel uh, made, made time to do that. That's really special. Yeah, yeah, it's been great. We did it with a lot of the exercises. Oh, I love that. So a lot from a lot of the wisdom in the book, a lot of it and generally what you do, most of it comes back to the idea of servitude and the idea that we can only truly be happy when we serve others. I'd love to hear more about that because I think that's very profound and I just really kind of want to unpack that a bit. Yeah, so there's two types of service in our lives. There's a service to the people that we know and the people that we love and the people that love us. So our kids, our our partners, our parents. And that's one type of service that everyone does and that has to be reciprocal. So in the sense that that has to be a relationship where you're serving your partner and they're serving you in some way. That's very natural in a relationship. You serve your kids and, and they're serving you with joy and laughter in the beginning and then in the future with becoming, and, and even now I think kids are teachers of their parents in so many ways and, yeah, I, know, and I know you believe that. And so, that's one type of service, but the service that I'm speaking about in the book is the service that's above and beyond that, that space. And now I remember this long when we first met, you were already in that service mode because you were trying to help people who had suffered and experienced similar challenges as you had growing up. And so you were already in that service mindset of people that could never, they weren't people that could do anything for you. And this is the a uh, quote that I shared that I uh, quote in the book, and I'm forgetting the author's name right now, uh, but it will come to me. But this this quote that I make of like, uh, plant trees under whose shade you do not plan to sit. And so this, this quote is really what service is about. Service is about planting trees under whose shade you do not plan to sit. So it's doing something for others where you don't have a direct transactional reciprocal desire in mind. So when you're helping someone with their physical or mental challenge, you're not doing it because you want that person to love you or adore you. You're doing it because you just want them to have access to it. Uh, and in that process, they may love you, uh, but, but that wasn't the point of it. And so the reason why I speak about service so much is that not just spiritually, but scientifically, it's proven to improve people. So people who are experiencing depression, when they are serving others who experience depression, their depression falls by around 10%. Uh, you've got yeah. Alcoholics Anonymous, everyone who goes through Alcoholics Anonymous, at one point they then become the call to people who are in the group. So when yeah. someone's struggling with being an alcoholic, you become one of the people that they can call when they're about to break their uh, program or sobriety. And so in all aspects of transformation, until you rise to being, a, and that's the funny thing, you rise to being someone who serves. And, and that's the beauty of a good culture is you don't rise to become a leader. You rise mm -hmm. to become the person who serves the most. And if you don't rise to that, it's almost like a part of your growth is also blocked. Because if you never rise to the ability where you can serve others and give to others, then you don't always feel reminded and, and almost reinforced in why you do what you do. I talk about and teach meditation so much that it's reinforced into my life day to day that I have to do it myself. And so service just has this 
profound effect on personal transformation and on the world. Because when you serve, you feel grateful. When you serve, you gain perspective. When you serve, you gain, you gain so many gifts from service. And when people say, oh, well, service is selfish then, yeah, sure it is. It is selfish, but why not have selfishness through selflessness than just be selfish? Uh, you know, everything ultimately is a selfish act in the sense that it, we're always trying to do something for the self, whether it's self-care or service. But the point is, why not link that to deepening human bond and connection through wanting mm -hmm. to give? So service to me is extending yourself to someone without the expectation that they're going to do something back. And that's why it's different in marriage. It's different in, uh, you know, in your parents and family, because there is a reciprocal relationship there. So that's, that's, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't look at that as direct service. I'm looking at service a bit beyond that. Yeah, no, you explained that really well. Thank you. I hope you're all enjoying this episode with Jay Shetty. Jay and his wife Radhi live a life devoted to ancient Vedic principles and for that reason we've teamed up with Urban Veda to bring you this episode. When I learned that what I put on my body is as important as what I put in my body and began looking for natural skincare brands, I found it really difficult to find products that were both genuinely natural and also felt as luxurious as the conventional brands I was used to. I wanted them to smell nice, I wanted texture, and of course, I wanted products that actually worked. Then a few years ago, I found Urban Veda, and ever since, I've been particularly obsessed with their day and night creams. I'm also not paying extortionate prices for the products. They're totally affordable at the same time as being natural, vegan, and cruelty-free. One of the things I love about Urban Veda is how the products are formulated with Ayurvedic principles offering options for all different skin types and doshas. As an offering from Urban Veda to my listeners, you can get a very generous 15% discount across their range by visiting urbanveda.com and using the code Lauren15 at checkout. Thank you to Urban Veda. So really your thing is purpose. That's your thing, helping people find their purpose. Your podcast is even called On Purpose. But for the person listening who feels very much outside of their purpose or unaware how to even step into it or find it, what would you tell them? Yeah, so there are three routes to purpose and all three of them synergized is what purpose is. And they are passion, strength, and compassion. So that's how Dharma is explained. Dharma is a Sanskrit word. And it has many, many translations and meanings, but the favorite one that I got exposed to was eternal purpose or your inner truth, your, your natural truth. And when you break that down, it comes down to what is your passion, what is your strength, and what is your compassion? So we're all born with a natural strength, natural things that we, we flourish at, that come easy to us. We have things that we're passionate about, that we're curious about more than other things. And that's where it really begins. So the first question is, what are you passionate about? What are you curious about? What is it that you find so interesting that you read books about, you uh, watch documentaries on? So since I was young, I was always fascinated by human behavior. I loved reading books about the mind. I loved reading books about human behavior. I never read a fiction book in my life. I don't enjoy fiction books at all. Now, that doesn't mean that fiction books are bad to read. What I'm saying is, it's very clear if you watch yourself when you're young and you allow yourself to follow your passion, that you'll have a very clear thing. I was drawn to autobiographies and biographies because I loved reading about real life and real pain and struggle. And so if you start looking at what I was interested in, it's very, makes sense what I do today. Mm. It's not that far off. So that's passion. 
so that's how you find your passion and that's one way of figuring it out. Now you may say, Jay, I either know my passion, which is great, or you're like, Jay, that doesn't work for me. I've tried, I don't know what I'm curious about. The second way to find it is through your strengths. What skills do you have? What are you naturally good at? Scribble them down, write them down. What is it that you have that you're good at that is really, really pushing you forward, that is really maximizing you as an individual? And you may not love those strengths, but what is it that people always say, oh, you're really good at that, Lauren. Oh, you're really good at that. Like, you're, so, you're, you're one of the best that I've seen at this. We all have something that we perform well at that we're not even conscious of. And then the third one, which is really important, is connecting your passion to your compassion or your strengths to your compassion where is it that you feel is the biggest problem in the world? Is it climate change? Is it parenting? Is it uh, the environment? Is it veganism? Is it whatever it is, right? Like whatever it is for you. Because the interesting thing about the world is that there are a lot, there's a lot of pain in the world, but it's the pain that you most feel attracted to solve. That doesn't mean you believe it's the biggest problem in the world. It just means you feel attracted to call to serve it. So for me, I feel the biggest pain in the world is people not living up to their purpose and their potential. Because I believe that if I help people find their purpose, they'll go and solve climate change. They'll go and help the environment. They'll go and become amazing parents because that's what I feel called to do. I don't believe what I'm doing is better or worse than what anyone else feels called to do. But I believe that I'm not the smartest person in the world. I'm not gonna cure cancer, but I may be the person who helps that person who's got the cure to cancer get going and get excited and get motivated. And so for me, that's what I've chosen. And that's what I would ask everyone. And this is a compassion part is usually what's forgotten in purpose. I know so many people who have their passion and strengths, but they're not using it to serve others. And so they're not fulfilled. And I know so yeah. many people in the world who are just trying to do work they believe in, but it's not their passion or their strength. And so it doesn't have any impact. It doesn't really gain momentum. And so you'll find that in your life, you'll gain momentum on all three of those synergies. So that's purpose. Yeah, and that's just kind of really pragmatic advice because we can kind of go about our whole life and be like, what's my purpose, what's my purpose? But what you need to do is sit down with those things. Yeah, that's it's it. It's really pragmatic advice. It's really simple. You have to sit down with those three things and you have to be honest with yourself. So I hear a lot of people say, oh, but Jay, I'm good at lots of stuff. And I'm like, you're good at lots of stuff, but what are you great at, right? There's a big difference between good and great. Or mm -hmm. someone says to me, Jay, I don't know what I'm passionate about at all, but I'm like, but have you observed your habits? Have you seen what documentaries you watch? Have you looked at what podcasts you listen to? Have you looked at what you love about helping people? And then when people say, well, I'm not sure what I'm compassionate about, just go and help. Go and serve some food. Uh, go and take care of someone for a bit. Just go and experience. And all of this, the answer will come to you for all three of these areas if you just experiment and experience and explore more. And most of our answers will be Literally most, most of our questions will be answered if we do those three E's, experience, experiment, and explore more. Most of life, the problem is we're trying to decide, get stuff done, and set deadlines instead of experience, experiment, and explore. And the D's, those, those three D's that I just mentioned, they just block your life. Like we're just trying to make a decision. Okay, what should I focus on? But that's not the question. The question is, well, let me explore enough to decide what to focus on. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, so I want to ask you some things that I know um, probably a lot of people are, are wondering. Um, so you're now living in LA and um, you've got some pretty incredible friends. You get to meet some amazing people, people who are considered A-list. 
What I want to know is how you keep from being led by the ego in that respect, or if sometimes your ego does get in the way, or you know, have you got starstruck or nervous? Yeah, so I'm I'm generally always the least famous person in every room I spend time in, which is really fun wow. uh, because uh, you you always and and what, and I mean that in a really like down to earth way in the sense of like when you're surrounded by people that you've looked up to your whole life, or you, and and I've also been very lucky. The people that I've met are just really wonderful people and they're really humble. And I think that's mm-hmm. what I found, even in my teachers, my spiritual, I mean, you've met so many of our, my spiritual teachers and they're so humble, they're so down to earth. And so whether I'm meeting great spiritual people or whether I'm meeting very influential people in the world, the people that I've met are just really down to earth and humble. And so there's no reason not to be humble in that case because how can you think of yourself with ego and actually the people around you that are also very spiritually successful or materially successful, all of them don't are not like that. Like they don't walk around with their ego either. So that becomes really special and beautiful. The other thing is that I always temper my ego with uh, my goals. So I never wanna feel smaller than anyone else or bigger than anyone else, but I love feeling smaller than my goals. And I think people often say to me like, Jay, it seems like you've achieved all your goals. And I'm like, maybe from the external point of view, but for me, until everyone in the world has the skills and tools to manage their mental health, like I haven't achieved anything. Uh, And it's not just about a number or being on a list or uh, amount of views or followers. Like that is wonderful. I love all of that stuff, but that doesn't doesn't end my purpose. You know, your Mm -hmm. purpose doesn't end because you're at the top of a list or something like, uh, purpose is way beyond that. Uh, And the other thing I find, which which is really beautiful, is is always having more to learn. So every year I challenge myself, like this year I launched a book, I've never launched a book before. I was nervous, I was scared, I was stressed out, like it was beautiful, but I loved that feeling of feeling out of my comfort zone. Last year I launched a podcast, I've never launched a podcast before. I was nervous, I was stressed, I was out of my comfort zone. And so every year what I try and do, and I believe this will keep you, all three of them help. So every year I try to learn one thing, launch one thing, and love one thing. So when you're loving something every year, that will keep you happy and joyful and and just keep you motivated. Like when you do something you love. When you keep learning something every year, you'll remain humble, nervous, and excited. All positive feelings to feel that sense of like, oh, I'm learning, I've still got more to grow. The learning one actually keeps you excited. It keeps you, uh, it, it actually grows your confidence. When you're learning something, it actually gives you more confidence. Because you're like, oh, I understand something new. Oh, I'm growing. Mm-hmm. So it gives you a feeling of growth and achievement. And when you launch something every year, it keeps you humble and nervous. And it gives you that feeling of like butterflies mm-hmm. again. And so when you love something every year, when you learn something and you launch something. So last year, I launched my podcast. I loved making videos and I was learning how to write a book. This year, I launched my book. I was loving doing my podcast because I'd already done it for a whole year. And I was learning about how to create more comedic content. I was I, I, pract- I experimented with a lot more humor this year in, in a lot of my work. And so again, I'm always trying to do that. And that's a great way of remembering that. And yes, I've been starstruck. Uh, the one person I always get starstruck by still, I've seen him three times at events, both private and and small, I've never said hello to him. Is Leonardo DiCaprio? I just can't. I can't oh, do it. Wow. He's just. He's just. He's Leonardo DiCaprio. Like to me, he's. You know, he's one of my favorite yeah. actors of all time. I. I've, I don't even have the courage to go and shake his hand and say hello. 
Uh, I bet he'd so, love to be on the podcast to talk about environment stuff. I want, it's all about climate change. I right? definitely want him to do that. We haven't had, I haven't had the right opportunity to ask him, but that is definitely the uh, the ask that I would, I would love to have him. What he's doing in the world is is amazing, but I get so nervous of telling him that. So uh, yeah, yeah I, I've never said to him. <laughs> yeah, because we, we were part of that like Leo Mania generation after Titanic, right? <laughs> yeah, Titanic, Catch Me If You Can. Uh, Blood yeah. Diamond. There's so many great movies. Oh no, all his movies were amazing. But we particularly were like that generation of teenagers when Titanic came out and people went just crazy for him. Something I really want to know: Have you had any really dark moments since getting to LA? Because obviously you left your family, and you know things could get really hard. And from the outside, people just think everything's perfect, but it's never perfect. Yeah, I think New York more than LA was really tough. Like when I was in New York. Uh, and I, and I transitioned away from the HuffPost to do it on my own and, and, you know, do everything I'm doing today. Like we were four months away from being broke, like literally had enough money for rent and groceries. Uh, I had 30 days before my visa ran out and I'd have to leave the country and move back to the UK. And I didn't really know anyone. Like I didn't have any family in New York either or friends for that matter. And, and again, every year something happens. Like last year, I, you know, my podcast production company pulled out two weeks before we launched my podcast because they said it wasn't going to be a big podcast. Wow. Uh, and, and they pulled out and, and we had to scramble to launch the show and all the rest of it. So that was really hard work. And so I'd say that in anyone's life that you see anything going well, I promise you there are nine things that went wrong that year mm. uh, or nine things that didn't work out. And so you just get really used to failure uh, the, the thing that I've done that's really helped is since I moved to LA as well, I've really invested in good friendships and I feel really proud of the group of friends I have and the, the love that I have from them because with, with anything in, when you're doing anything publicly, there'll always be moments where you're the best and then there'll be moments where everyone disagrees with you and there'll be moments where people love you and there'll be moments where people hate you and that's very normal and the only way to live in that very volatile world is to have your core group of people that you know, they know your heart, they understand you and they, and they believe in your intention. And to me, that's been a really important investment. So there've been plenty of really tough moments. Uh, you know, in 2016, me and Radhi, we moved country. I changed job three times. We got married and, you know, had all of that transition in our first year of marriage. And yeah. we talk about on my podcast, on my first episode about how hard that was uh, yeah. in, in terms of our relationship and how difficult it was in our marriage. And so, there have been a lot of what I don't like. There have been a lot of uh, challenging moments, but I've genuinely, in every challenging moment, thought to myself, "This literally could be the best opportunity that ever happened." And actually, it just makes your experience far more real. Like there is no one that you admire in this world that hasn't gone through that. And and I think that's the point that. When we're struggling, we think, oh, this this can't be right. But actually, that is exactly right. Like, that's exactly mm. how it works. And I think that's the, that's the mindset I've tried to have every year and every day and, and every month and week that I've been away. And I'm looking forward to coming back and seeing family. But I definitely, I definitely feel that me and Radhi have had to grow a lot more because we haven't had them. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. So the last one before we move on to, to the last segment is, does Jay Shetty have any vices? Oh yeah, chocolate, chocolate. <laughs> well, I'm plant-based, but I love chocolate. So sugar, sugar is, oh gosh, I'm, I, and, and that's all thanks to my mum. I grew up eating a chocolate biscuit, a chocolate bar, chocolate yogurt, and a chocolate ice cream nearly every day. 
So yeah, but Radhi sorts that all out. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah, so Radhi. Yeah. So now we do monk fruit. So now I don't eat, I eat monk fruit chocolate. If anyone's not heard of it, and I don't have any. Ironically, I have no connection to the brand. I just love it. It's sweetened with monk fruit, so it's not sugar, and right. it's plant-based chocolate. So it's really good. So I eat that. Uh, but that's definitely advice. I love. I still love PlayStation and playing FIFA and NBA 2K. I'm a huge fan of sports games. A very competitive, very competitive person. Com- competition device for sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, I absolutely love it. Advice or a strength? A strength. I'd say it's both. I, I, yeah, it's a strength. I, I see it as a strength. Not about being, it's never been about, I've never wanted to be better than anyone else. I've just always, always, always wanted to improve. And that's kind of where I use it. Uh, but I love video games, really, really love video games. And definitely during quarantine, I played a lot of video games. <laughs> and what else? I mean, pizza and fries. I mean, the, the food angles, definitely. Uh, <laughs> there, there's lots of food. But yeah, I'd say video games and chocolate are the two big ones. Okay, so you heard it first here, guys. Jay Shetty does have vices. Of course, I know. <laughs> it's, everyone, everyone does, and it's what makes us human, and it, it's what makes life fun and meaningful and and something to work on, you know? So, Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So as you know, I do a little segment at the end of the show called All About You and um, pretty similar to your rapid fire round. And it just gives the listener a little bit of opportunity to get to know you better personally. And so I haven't prepared you with the question, so it's all spontaneous. So are you ready? You're ready. Right. So removing the option of people, one thing that the UK has that America doesn't that you find it hard to live without. Oh, the NHS. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, good one. <laughs> it's, it trusts me when you move country and you realize how much money you have to spend on healthcare to just get the same. It's it's insane. Like it is, it's amazing to think about that. And oh, and 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 the underground. Yeah. Right. I thought you were going to say football. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh, that would have been the, that would have been the <laughs> right answer. NHS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been the right answer. But uh, But yeah, no, that too. But yes. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask you one of your own questions. Something you know to be true that others might not agree with. Yes. Okay. So something I oh that's it. yeah I love I'm I'm glad you asked me this one. Something I know to be true is that spirituality and success or spiritual spirituality and strategy can go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think that if you're spiritual you can't be wealthy. If you're spiritual you can't be successful. Or if you're successful, then you must not be spiritual. You have to be doing something that's unspiritual. And that to me is actually a really limiting belief because we should want every wealthy company to be spiritual and we should want every spiritual person to be abundant so that we can all live in this abundant world. Whereas if we're saying that only bad people are wealthy and successful, then that's a, I don't want to live in that world. And so I think a lot of people have a misconception about success and spirituality and there's a beautiful quote by martin luther king where he said those who love peace need to learn to organize themselves as well as those who love war and i think that's actually the biggest mistake of spiritual well-being health world is if we all remain unorganized and just wishy-washy and and just like you know, kind of a bit, uh, you know, lazy or kind of a bit like, oh, the universe will take care of everything. That's not a good way to live. And, you know, so anyway, that's something I believe very strongly and many people disagree with me on, so. 
I love that answer so much because I actually wanted to talk about business and, you know, entrepreneurship, but we haven't had time. But because I'm so into like intentional entrepreneurship and, you know, the idea of helping companies to implement wellness initiatives and something I'm super passionate about and like giving people the, you know, breaking down those limiting beliefs of scarcity and lack and allowing them to kind of live in their purpose and create money and as an energetic exchange based on what you love to do. And that can be a really spiritual thing. Correct. And, and we have to realize money is just energy. Yes. And, and when you have more of that energy, you'll be able to do more good if that was your intention. And I think people forget, like I talk a lot about this and I'm glad we touched on it. It's like, I talk a lot about how we employ people, we have teams, we have, so it's not just me living my purpose or, or anyone, it's, it's actually giving other people the opportunity to live their purpose and their passion. Yeah. And so there's so much that can be done when we stop seeing every, we, we, the problem in the world is we idolize and demonize stuff. We don't neutralize it. And the monk perspective is to neutralize everything. Don't, don't put money on a pedestal and don't demonize it. Don't put fame on a pedestal and don't demonize it. Don't put uh, strength on a pedestal and don't demonize it. Neutralize mm -hmm. it. It's just energy and it can be used either way depending on how you want to do it. So that's my definitely something I feel confident about that I think some people may disagree with me on, but hopefully today we've helped people expand their mind to that if, if that was something they were blocked by. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, what does your meditation practice involve? Yes, so I do three types of meditation practice, breath work, visualization, and mantra. There's three sections in the book that break down all my practices. I love breath work because I use it throughout the day when I'm feeling nervous, when I'm feeling stressed, when I'm feeling overworked. Uh, visualization I'm a huge proponent of because I just think that so much of what we need to heal can be healed in our minds just by walking through scenarios. And then mantra has always been the deepest part of it for me because that's been the most spiritual, the most connecting with the divine, the most connecting with uh, something beyond myself. And I find mantra is the most powerful way to do that. So the repetition of mantras out loud, loud enough so that you can hear it, uh, often done in a group as Kirtan, which I miss so much right now. I haven't been able to do Kirtan Me for too. a long time. Uh, we've been having, we were having since we moved to LA, we were having multiple Kirtan events in my home uh, with oh, Janavi, wow. and we haven't had one for a long, long time. So uh, missing those. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Um, is there a formula to happiness? That's such an interesting, someone else asked me that the other day and I haven't answered it. I've got an answer on a video for someone at the moment. I haven't, I was really, really thinking about that. And I just when I hear the word formula, I'm thinking about formula. Do I really believe that? And this is a real question to myself. I'm not, I'm really thinking about it. I think the challenge with formulas is that it's almost like if you do this and you do this, then this is what you get. And I don't think happiness is the end of a formula. Uh, and so I would have to say no. I'd have to say no because... I think you could do all of the right stuff, but you could do it for the wrong reason, or you could do all the activities, but not do them deeply, and then it wouldn't work. Whereas in a formula, you just have to put them in a line and, and it equals. So I'm being very mathematical here. I'm trying to use the definition of the word formula. I, I think happiness is far more of a, a res, happiness is far more of a uh, result of a particular set of practices, but those practices are just not finite and that's why it, it just maybe i don't understand math well enough but i i think it's a, i think it's a lot more experiential and formulas don't feel like you experience them you just know them you know you don't experience an equation you just you just know it and so for me i think happiness is far more of an experience 
what I've taken from that is you have become very Americanized because you now pronounce it math instead of math. I know. I have like, <laughs> I've had to adapt. I say soccer. I say X, Y, Z. I say, no, I say dollars. I, yeah, no, I have, it, I've had to, I've, I've had to adapt in so yeah, maths. I sound so silly when I say maths here. And then now I'm like, yeah, math. Like, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Okay. Lauren. <laughs> Last one. What does spirituality really mean? Ooh, I, I believe that spirituality really means it's, it's performing. So this is how it was explained to me when we lived as monks that spirituality is the spirit behind the ritual. So you have daily practices, you have daily rituals that you do, but you do them with a deeper sense of spirit, the spirit of recognizing there's a higher power, higher being, divine source, that we are connected to every human being on the planet and every entity on the planet, not just human beings, every animal, every bird, every, every tree. So first of all, accepting that deep connection to all beings, accepting that there are daily practices to raise our vibration and frequency, and then performing them with the spirit and the knowledge that there is a power beyond us and there is a energy beyond us and a source beyond us. That's a very, very beautiful note to end on. Thank you so much, Jay. I, at this point, I would ask, where can people find you? But everyone knows where to find you. So is there anything that you would like people to know about right now? Anything yeah, no, no, that was wonderful. This was great. I, I would just encourage everyone that if you've already read the book or know the book and the podcast, I would definitely suggest uh, this year we launched our certification school, which has been amazing. Yes. So if anyone wants to become life coaches, and wants to be able to become better at their emotional intelligence and serve more than that's become, that's been such a huge achievement for me personally, because to have a school where we're being able to create leaders and more people who can serve in the world has been so, so fulfilling. Uh, and our genius community. So those things are jsheddycoaching.com and jsheddygenius.com. And, and those websites are really useful for anyone who's wanting to take the next step in their personal journey. So that would be amazing. But thank you, Lauren, for this. This was absolutely wonderful and i'm so glad we we got to do this you're a great interviewer you asked the best oh, thing about this you. interview is we talked about nothing that i've talked about in so many of the interviews i've done which is a real art uh and wow. a skill and, and i want you to <laughs> know you. that I, it was a real conversation i really enjoyed it thank you i enjoyed it so much jay i really hope it's not another three years before i get to see you <laughs> i hope so too i hope so too <laughs> love to roddy and thank you so oh, much well, love to daniel as well yeah Thank you I so will. much. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you. This is amazing. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to Recondition today. I'd be so grateful if you could subscribe and maybe even leave a review. Or better still, if you could share with friends and family who you think could benefit from the content. Really, it's all about just sharing the love so that everyone can understand how to use an integrative approach to life and health.